Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 30th edition of the Smart Marks Wrestling Podcast. I'm Brandon, and I'll be running the show mostly solo today, as Jim's on a very well-deserved vacation with his family. Uh, there's a lot to talk about today. We'll have uh, a segment later on talking about wrestling school with someone who has experience in wrestling school, so I think that'll be very interesting for anybody that uh, is curious about how that goes and you know the very beginner steps of, of what it takes to become a pro wrestler. But uh, for now, we can start talking about the... Uh, Probably Hell in a Cell, to be honest, because that was the first thing that happened this week, technically. Um, <clears throat> the most recent thing after last week's uh, show. And it was very okay. <laughs> I mean, it started off really strong. It started off, the uh, the main show anyway, with Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks in the uh, their Hell in a Cell match. And I thought it was really good. I thought that both women came out and just showed why they're the top of the top in the company. The issue I had was Sasha Banks tapping out, and I know that you know you, you have to have uh, one of the two come out as the winner. That's fine, and, and really, I didn't really mind if it was going to be Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch coming out on top. I and I know that both women have finishers that uh, that are submission moves. My issue is that you have Sasha Banks come back after this huge hiatus from the company. People are uncertain if she's going to be back in WWE. Is she going to be in AEW? What's going on with her? And then she comes back, and she's probably the hottest talent on the roster at the time, just because, again, there was so much discussion around her for so long, dating back to even WrestleMania. And then she comes in, she's hot, and then she loses by tapping out. And I talked about it, I think it would have been last week even, where I find that tapping out is just the extra step. You know, you can pin someone, and that's whatever. We've seen top stars get pinned, quick three pound, uh, quick three count, sorry, or whatever it may be. And you don't really lose much, um, I guess, as far as your reputation goes. Tapping out is a whole different thing. And and again, while I have no issue with one of them winning, I think this could have been held for later on. Specifically because I think that these two have a long angle set out in front of them. And if you really want to have a long feud, which again, I think that is important in this, this day and age of wrestling. It's really always been important. But WWE has shown that just throwing together random matches and not having anything to build towards really does hurt. And uh, having Sasha Banks tap out now is kind of weird. And unless there's this long uh, idea or long plan with Sasha Banks eventually making Becky Lynch tap out and then all is forgotten. At the very least, I'd imagine this is just an oversight, right? It's Becky Lynch's finisher, she made her tap out. That being said, really good match. Uh, maybe I'm overlooking this whole submission thing. I probably am. But uh, I would have probably done it a little bit differently. Especially considering it's Hell in a Cell. But that was fine. I like Daniel Bryan versus, and Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. Uh, Rowan and Harper, we know what they are at this point. We know that they're very good, capable talents. I kind of like that we're seeing Rowan as the uh, the figurehead of this, this duo right now. Because in the past, it's been either you know Bray Wyatt or it's been... Um, Harper and Rowan together as the Bludgeon Brothers and not really talking or doing much outside of just beating people down. Rowan having an actual, like, I guess, promo spot almost every time they're out there is very important because it shows that they're more than what we think they are. And in the ring, like I said, we know what they are, but there may be more to the characters than we think, and we know that they're both very capable, so that that's very interesting to me. Uh, Daniel Bryan is so good, whether he's a, a heel, whether he's a babyface, he really just he delivers in, in every aspect of the show. And Roman Reigns, love him or hate him, and I know that most people are, are getting you know, swayed towards the Roman Reigns cause. He is very, very good. And it makes sense why they'd make him or want to make him the face of their company because he just gets a reaction 
He's very good in the ring. Um, he's limited at times when the, that that could also be because of the uh, the booking that they give him. We know that WWE is very specific on how they want matches done, and you can see somebody have a two or three star match in WWE against someone uh, against a certain opponent, and then go to the Indies or even NXT for that matter, and have the same the same match with that person and pull out certain moves and certain angles and spots that you wouldn't see on Raw, or SmackDown, or a pay per view related to those two shows. So Roman Reigns, his you know quote unquote limitations, it may not actually be limitations. It may just be the way that WWE wants to book him, and I think that's fine. I think he does what he does and he does it well. So I, I thought it was a good match. The hug at the end was kind of a nice touch. You weren't sure maybe one of them would turn on each other. I'll be honest. The obvious thing was Daniel Bryan turning on Reigns, right? But for me, Reigns turning on Bryan would have been the ultimate. Uh, you know, step forward if they're talking about getting WWE back on the map. Not that it's really gone away, but with AEW coming out at full store, but we'll talk about that later. But with AEW pushing so hard to be the top show, um, whether it's intentional or not, you have to assume that WWE has to step their game up. So having Reigns not turn is the expected move, but having him turn would have been just... Because it would have been so unexpected, it would have been very cool to see. That said... Wasn't holding my breath. I thought it would have been cool, but it, again, it's the, the match was good. The ending was perfect, and uh, it, it is what it is. The show that it wasn't anything to really write home about. Same thing for Randy Orton versus Ali. Match was fine. There was some build up towards it going back, but it, it also felt like it was just kind of added last second because it was. But it feels like the, the company really decided last second. Hey, we should probably fill this out and, and put it in. Uh, the Kabuki Warriors, actually. The Kabuki Warriors came out, and they showed a heel side to themselves, and they worked ring psychology perfectly. Uh, Bliss and Cross both looked good. The uh, green mist at the end was absolutely perfect. And I think we may actually see a resurgence to this Women's Tag Team Championship. Uh, I'll also go into Raw real quickly, but we saw them again on Raw and SmackDown, and they looked really good against Charlotte and Becky Lynch. And the Green Mist once again came through. So there's a lot to like with this team and with this angle. And ideally, it's booked properly. Again, it's hard to really hold your breath and uh, and hope that is going to get things right when we've been let down so many times in the past. But Asuka and Kairi Sane are both incredible talents. And they, they seem to be booking them in the right direction. And not using them as just wrestlers and using them in a heel way seems like a really, really good idea to me. Uh, we saw the whole Braun Strowman and Viking Raiders against the OC. That was fine. That that whole match really was just a setup for Braun Strowman and Tyson Fury, and what's going to happen with that. So, <clears throat> match was fine. I thought that uh, all participants looked really good, but again, it was. I mean, again, fine. There's really there's nothing on this card other than uh, Lynch and Banks that really stood out to me as an incredible match. Uh, that goes for, again, Chad Gable and King Corbin. I liked Gable winning. I thought that was good. That being said, <laughs> King Corbin may be the biggest like 50-50 push guy in the company as far as the, he gets these mega pushes. Money in the bank, uh, wins. He's the, you know, the constable. He wins the king of the ring. And then he gets stripped of the money in the bank. Like he, or he, oh, Sorry, he loses it. But, I mean, it was basically him being stripped of it because it was such a non-factor uh, that... People talk about sometimes in gimmicks, 
like, oh, well, weren't you Money the Bank winner? But also, it was so it's so disregarded nowadays. Um, they really just kind of buried it and, like, brushed it under the rug. Then you have this King of the Ring. You know, right away, his, his chair gets broken down. He loses to Chad Gable at the, the next pay-per-view. Um, the Constable, he beat Kurt Angle, and that was great. Except nothing really came out of it after. He didn't get a major push after that. So we, we've seen him kind of booked. <clears throat> we've seen that people booked 50-50, but he's been booked in the biggest ways of 50-50, and it's just weird to see that they they seem to like him so much, but they have no idea what they're doing with him. I should say, after he beat Angle, he did have that run against Seth Rollins for the title. So maybe he did get some kind of push, but it just never felt like he was ever going to win it. So that, that's kind of my issue with it. Uh, Charlotte versus Bailey, that was surprising to me. Charlotte winning the title from Bailey and Bailey no longer having that, that championship. Um, maybe this is how they're going to really solidify her as a heel because we saw her after the match. Uh, she, she was, you know, crying and telling the camera to get away from her and she was complaining to herself. So it'll be interesting to see SmackDown. This is, again, being recorded before SmackDown Live because SmackDown is now... Actually, it's not SmackDown Live anymore, which <laughs> I was calling for that for a long time, so good. I'm glad that's gone. But it was uh, this is being recorded before SmackDown because SmackDown, of course, is on Fridays now. So that limits the, uh, the amount of content we can put in each week. Um, <clears throat> if anything huge happens on SmackDown, it is possible that it gets recorded and edited in after. But uh, we'll see. We do know that SmackDown has uh, implications for the draft, and we're going to see the, the start of the draft tonight. So really... It might be interesting to to put all of that discussion into next week's show after the whole draft is complete because even just reviewing half of the draft may not be worth it. We've seen people get drafted uh, from Raw and SmackDown and back again even at the same night. So doing half the draft doesn't really make much sense. But uh, SmackDown will be discussed at some point, likely next week, but we'll see. And then the, the big match, the real elephant in the room, is uh, it, it was Seth Rollins against The Fiend Bray Wyatt. You had a match that... So here, I, I'm of a few minds on this match. Bray Wyatt as The Fiend is the best thing going in WWE right now. He's very good. He's being booked to perfection. And, and it's really hard to say that about anything in WWE in recent years. Outside of maybe Becky Lynch as the man um, leading up to WrestleMania. But they do they, they struggle very heavily on pushing people. Uh, or even pushing the right people sometimes. Oftentimes, but the feed has been perfect. Putting him in a championship situation at all, but especially this early, is kind of weird to me. Um, he doesn't need the title because he's so hot. It's the same way certain talent doesn't. You know, Roman Reigns doesn't need to be the WWE champion to be a legitimate like top guy. John Cena doesn't need that. I would say even like AJ Styles or Seth Rollins, like people like that, they don't need the titles to be legit. Um. Right now, Bray Wyatt didn't need it. That being said, if they really do think he does need it, and I'm not totally opposed to the idea, I just think that it wasn't necessary. Let's say they do think he needs to have the title or be in that title picture. Um, it, it would make sense, if you want to push him to the moon, to have him beat Seth Rollins, who obviously has been pushed to the moon going back for like a year now. Right, He's been the top guy in the company. Um, the, you know, The Shield right now are just on top of the world with Reigns and Rollins and WWE and uh, John Moxley over in AEW. But having the match go the way it go, uh, have, the way it went was, it made sense to me, right? You had Seth Rollins just beating down Bray Wyatt and 
you know, a million stomps and chair shots and and whatever the weapons that he used, all the weapons. Um, there, there was a lot of weapons. Uh, I believe at one point he even brought out uh, a hit a ladder on... Uh, actually, he had a, a pedigree onto a chair. He also had uh, a ladder on top of his head with a chair... Or sorry, he had a chair on top of um, his head, and Rollins took a, a ladder and smashed it down on his head, which I thought was gruesome. And then there was a kick out at two. There was, again, so many stomps, pedigrees, and chair shots to the head, and just kick outs at one. And that was fine. It just went on so long. And it was to the point where the fans were getting restless, because they knew, or they thought they knew, that, I mean, this match is going to end with the, the Fiend just winning the match. And that's fine. They wanted the Fiend to win it, I think. I think... Uh, in general, the whole crowd was behind the fiend of this situation, and that's not a slight at Seth Rollins. That's just because the fiend has been booked so perfectly, and that you've also had um, Bray Wyatt is just a, a fan favorite for a long time. But then <laughs> you had the whole toolbox situation and a sledgehammer, and the referee asking Seth Rollins, "Do you want to kill this man? Are you going to kill this man?" And then Rollins does it anyway. And the match, in a hell in a cell, gets stopped by referee stoppage. Which, I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Um, a lot of people were shocked by it, and rightfully so. It didn't make sense. Uh, after that, they were trying to stretch uh, Wyatt out, and then like off the uh, on a stretcher to an ambulance, I would assume. And Wyatt then got up, because again, he's the fiend, he's not a human being in this, in this gimmick. And he beat down Rollins... And then there was just an obscene amount of blood that was, one, very fake, and two, seemed like a very cheap way to try and get um, on top of the ratings or ahead of AEW because we've seen AEW really push the line, which is funny because WWE has mentioned in the past that AEW just can't get by doing that. You can't use that kind of blood regularly and, um, and, and succeed in today's landscape. And then they pull this out. I thought it was really stupid. I thought that there was no real benefit from it, and the crowd seemed to agree because there was heavy booze as the show went off the air uh, to the point where the crowd was chanting AEW. And Matt Jackson, I believe it was Matt Jackson, it was one of the Young Bucks, they uh, they tweeted out that AEW will be live again on Wednesday because, one, they are aware of the chance that it's having a hell in a cell, and two... They had to be aware of the match and how bad it was and how just... We talked about it last week with um, the Bobby Lashley and Lana segment and how Raw was fine. It wasn't horrible. But that last segment really left a bad taste in everybody's mouth and that's enough sometimes to really ruin an entire show. And uh, that's what happened with this. I don't really care about the rest of the show after having seen this. Um, One thing that did stand out to me about the show was AJ Styles, when he was basically knocked out, um, was saying, my belt, my belt. And you're not allowed to say belt in WWE. So that was uh, either real commitment to the gimmick of being like knocked out and almost concussed, which I thought was a nice touch. AJ Styles is a genius. Or it was just him forgetting, in which case AJ Styles is still a wrestling genius and that's just a lapse. <laughs> Regardless, I, uh, I thought it was funny and noteworthy. Uh, Raw, there's not much to talk about. It was... Um, it was fine. I thought that they really stepped up with the Rusev gimmick, having uh, a continuation from last week, but having Rusev actually react this week and get mad and beat down everybody in his path. Um, Orton and Corbin, who are both, you'd figure, being pushed 
both not being immune to that, I thought was really good. Uh, Rusev and Lashley could be good. <laughs> this angle in general is kind of weird, but it's also very much up WWE's ang- uh, alley. So it's not too surprising in the end. Uh, Natalia Lacey Evans was fine. I thought the match was had a lot of good elements. It was also kind of weird the way certain like basic moves were done before and after and like it would end the match after some of the gruesome not gruesome but like you know, brutal beatdown it was last man standing or last woman standing I should say but uh, Natalia winning is weird to me you'd figure you'd want to have uh, Lacey Evans come on top I'm also getting really tired of seeing Natalia and Lacey Evans I feel like those are the only people we've seen um, wrestle in a long time in that uh, as far as Lacey Evans is concerned you know, she's had that that brief, very brief run for the title, and then it's just Natalia from beginning to end. Uh, there's a lot of logic that was lacked in that match, but, I mean, again, what are you going to do? Viking Raiders versus Ziggler and Root, really good match. Uh, having the Viking Raiders come out top, I thought, was also really smart. Uh, and that's kind of contradictory, because I usually say the champions should come out on top if you want you want to book them. Especially considering I have this Dolph Ziggler gimmick going on, which... Um, self-imposed, but the Viking Raiders are really good, and we haven't seen them be really good on the main roster because WWE struggles with tag teams. You know, it's not a secret. So having this tag team match look really good, I thought, is a, is a good step forward. That's, uh, that's a positive. <laughs> then you have Aleister Black and the Singh brothers. That's all I'm going to say about that. Why? Uh, the OC against the Lucha House Party. Also, very much why it doesn't really make sense to me to. I guess the Lucha, uh, Lucha House Party has to come out at some point and just do their thing, and the OC needs an opponent, and this six uh, man tag match is possible with that, but I, I don't really understand what the point of that is, especially after um, you, you had the tag team title match the, the night earlier. But again, here we are. What are you going to do? Uh, I mentioned the. Uh, Kabuki Warriors coming out on top. I thought that was really good. And again, you had the green mist, and I thought that they did a really good job at pushing it. And that's a second tag team match that looked really good. So all things considered, very good work by WWE. Ricochet versus Apollo Crews should have been a lot better. It's just, again, another thrown-together match without any direction for either person. We'll see where that goes, but it's... It's just a, a match, I think. There's no real long-standing consequence there. And, of course, you have Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman starting their feud. Uh, it was fine, actually. I had no issue with it. It's what you expect. At least they're going to push Braun Strowman. I would kind of expect this gimmick to be more over on, or this feud, anyway, to be more on SmackDown because of Fox. But, hey, good for WWE for, for pushing this and getting Fury involved and having Braun Strowman in a major feud because... Well, we'll always assume is a major feud because he's kind of been treading water for a while. This guy's a legitimate star um, in the making. He's got everything you need in a star, and his mic skills are actually really not bad uh, for a guy who's a giant. You know, we usually don't see that, um, at least not this early into their careers. You know, Big Show obviously is really good on the mic. Uh, Kane is probably one of the best on the mic. That's he's very underrated, and Undertaker's always done his thing. But Giants typically don't have much as far as, like, um, I, I guess promo work goes. And usually they have a mouthpiece or they don't need it and they just come out there and brutalize people. So this, this is nice to have a guy who 
is good. He's fast. He's strong, and he's got uh, he's got the ability to speak. So push him. And again, it doesn't need to be for the title. I think that shit may have sailed right now, and you need to kind of circle back to it eventually. But push him and let him be a main uh, attraction on your show. And not every attraction has to have a title. And that's something that WWE needs to really show again. Somehow the show makes it so people are irrelevant without the title and irrelevant with the title. And I think that's my biggest issue with WWE's product. Um, NXT was really good. You know, you had, I would say, probably an A show, an A rating. You had a lot of really good stuff. You had Breezango against the Forgotten Sons. That was a, a sneaky good match with Breezango losing. I have no issue with Breezango losing, to be honest, because I think they have room to, to take a loss. But I also think that they're very good, and they may be the, the best, most accomplished tag team right now to go on and, and compete against for the tag team titles at some point. That being said, they're nowhere near that, with especially after taking a loss on uh, on NXT, but still really good. Uh, Rhea Ripley looked really good on the show. Really, the biggest thing coming out of NXT was uh, Drew Gulak losing his Cruiserweight Championship. And we've talked in the past about how you really need someone to carry the torch for the... Uh, for First of all, it's now the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. It's uh, 205 Live is what we assumed, you know, it's dead. And Drew Gulak, we thought, would be was still a good figurehead for that because he's got a gimmick and really you want eyes on the product. Well, who better to have as the figurehead or the the main character in that role as champion than Leo Rush, who makes headlines everywhere he goes, for good or for bad. And that match was terrific. Really, really good match. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it. If you're in Canada, it'll be airing... Uh, it would have aired Thursday night, sorry, so you would have had a chance to have seen it very recently. And if you're anywhere else and, and able to watch it in the States, then you would have seen it on a Wednesday, ideally, uh, live. And you got to see a real treat, and it was a really, really good way to uh, to start the show. They really came out uh, hot two weeks in a row. Unfortunately, though, for for WWE and for NXT, um, it, it's just it's impossible right now to compete with AEW's product and Raw, SmackDown, NXT, whatever it is. NXT is the exception to the rule, but Raw and SmackDown especially. Uh, they just feel like Raw and SmackDown, and like they felt for the last 10, 15 years. And I think what wrestling fans really want is they want to feel like it's the 90s again. They want to feel wrestling. And I'm not saying, you know, dated stuff or like old school gimmicks, but I'm talking about just the feeling you had as a wrestling fan back in, you know, the Attitude Era, the Ruthless Aggression Era even. It was just a really good time to be a wrestling fan. And AEW just delivers that in spades. And I can't talk enough about how good AEW is. Chris Jericho came out with the Inner Circle, which is obviously Santana Ortiz, Sammy Guevara, and uh, himself, and Jake Hager, uh, formerly Jack Swagger, and he just put on a clinic of a promo. Chris Jericho, I've said it before and I'll say it again, he's probably the greatest wrestler of all time. The guy gets it, he adapts, um, whether it's in the ring, on the mic, on social media, on his podcast, even if it's outside of wrestling, this guy knows how to get a reaction, how to entertain a crowd, and he. the thing about him is he doesn't have to be the focal point of a match anymore. He just needs to be the biggest attraction there. We saw it last week on the debut episode of Dynamite, where he, he was 
a really minor part of that match. You know, he got the Judas Effect and won, and is obviously the ringleader of this new faction. But he was barely involved in the match, and he doesn't need to be because there's so much talent around him, and he is such a good leader and such a good heel, and a good babyface for that matter, but he's such a good heel that he doesn't have to actually get his, you know, his hands dirty to to get a reaction from uh, the fans. Even just him tagging himself in and then tagging himself out right away. That's huge. That gets a reaction that's very Chris Jericho. Um, but back to his promo, you know, mentioning the list, mentioning how um, we the people is stupid and dead and how that was a, ma- uh, a consequence of bad booking and it was a bad idea to begin with, which I'm not so sure is true. I think that we the people in general was very good. It got Jack Swagger on top for a while um, despite not being used. But it was... It's just a really good promo. You know, he talked about... Uh, he highlighted everyone there on, uh, on in his team. He mentioned... Um, he took a slight shot. Maybe not so slight and subtle. It was pretty direct at Brock Lesnar. Uh, or at least, you know, uh, in, intended to be at Brock Lesnar. I don't think he actually cares about Brock Lesnar. I think he's very smart. And he knows how to um, get a crowd to react. So whether or not he actually doesn't like Brock Lesnar... He definitely used Brock Lesnar as a pawn in this promo by saying Jack Swagger, or sorry, Jake Hager, is the very best MMA fighter on the planet, and he's better, like, tougher than any other wrestler fighter, uh, former MMA fighter, that obviously a shot at even Bobby Lashley, potentially, but Brock Lesnar is obviously the the one that you expect it to be. Um, I don't think AEW has any issues with Matt Riddle. I, I think they made that very clear recently, but still, very good promo. Uh, Darby Allen and Jimmy Havoc was a dark match, so we had seen it before, but everyone got to see it yeah, for the first time if they hadn't seen it already on YouTube, live on Dynamite. Darby Allen's an absolute star. He is now going to be competing against Chris Jericho for the world title in a Philadelphia street fight, and I've been singing his praises for a while now, and he is very, very good at what he does. And I like that AEW has a quality of matches. Uh, you know, wins and losses doesn't. I mean, the, the record matters, but the quality of a loss is also very important. And even just showing the wins and losses record on the uh, during entrances is very important to me. I think it's a very good way to legitimize things in a world that we know isn't real, right? We know that there's uh, this is all gimmicks. We know that it, it's all scripted and storyline to a certain extent. Um, and we know that nothing, there's no ill will you would expect typically between a heel and a baby phase just because they're in a feud against each other. But you have to make people feel like there is. So having uh, some, some of the talent they have there do what they've done is very important. And Darby Allen, um, d- despite losing to Cody Rhodes originally, still looked really good. And that counted for something, obviously. So good for them. Good for put them pushing Darby Allen. Uh, Hangman and uh, Dustin Rhodes against... Uh, Guevara and Jericho was a good match. Uh, really, just a good show in general. It's like I said, it feels like you're watching wrestling in the uh, the '90s, and that's a feeling that I, I think I personally I know I've missed, and I think wrestling fans have missed because you just don't get that anymore. Who um, we got to see John Moxley in an AEW ring, and he looked absolutely terrific, and Sean Spears, who you know people think. And Cody Rhodes alluded to it. This guy could be a main event talent, and he was used in less than a mid card role in WWE. Well, we're seeing it now, where he's not just uh, 
not just a pushover, and he looks good as a heel, as a babyface, whatever it is. I don't know the direction they're going to use for him, but uh, for now, at least he's being used in pretty high-profile matches. You know, he faces against Cody Rhodes, faces off against John Moxley. Those are two of the top guys in the company, and he's been used against both of them. The Young Bucks. The Young Bucks and Private Party. That match was incredible. Um... I might call it a five-star match, honestly. Mark Quinn, again, it, I, I mentioned it after like the first time we saw him. I can't remember which pay-per-view it was, but it was one of the first AEW pay-per-views. Mark Quinn is unbelievable. He's a high-spot machine, and he looks really good doing it. And having the Young Bucks lose clean on Dynamite in a, the, the first round of a tag team championship tournament really is uh, the pinnacle of what you expect AEW to be. It's not going to just be the same guys winning or the same guys losing or the expected result. We know that Seth Rollins is going to be Baron Corbin on on Raw, typically. We know like certain things are going to happen because it just makes sense. But when you have a, a sneaky win like this, that's beautiful to me because you just don't know what to expect. I also forgot to mention it, but Kenny Omega coming out with two barbed wire weapons, one was a broom, one was a bat, throwing one to Moxley after his victory over Sean Spears, and basically looking to just have a brawl, you know, have this fight, this feud come to a head, and then Pat comes out and just hits him in the back of the head with a chair, and then Moxley walking away because um, he's Moxley, so whether or not he, he, maybe he doesn't want to fight him when there's no advantage there, which is weird because we saw him attack uh, Omega from behind <laughs> last week. Um, maybe he just wants to do it in a bigger uh, bigger way. But for one reason or another, he didn't attack him when he was down. And they kind of hinted towards potentially um, a union between Pac and Moxley. So that'll be interesting. Two guys who I think are top heels right now. Uh, Kenny Omega, they... Like I said... They, you really don't know who's going to win and who's going to lose in this company. And Kenny Omega, just keeps, like he, uh, he keeps losing. And he's coming out as the loser in all of this. And I, I'm curious to see how long that lasts and when eventually he's going to get his push. Uh, I think that's really it as far as you know the weekly uh, shows go. Uh, like I said, I, I will be having uh, a guest on for uh, a wrestling school conversation. It's a very close friend of mine. And I think that'll be interesting to to really pick his brain about what the process is like, um, really from like day one to to where he got to and, and the stories that he saw from other people who were getting you know tryouts at the performance center even. So that'll be interesting. For now though, this is the 30th edition of the Smart Marks Wrestling Podcast presented by thesportster.com. Um, you can find us on Anchor.fm, iTunes. Apple, so Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and the Google Podcasts, um, Podbean, uh, really anywhere you can find your podcasts will be there. So thank you, and uh, we'll get right into the next uh, the next segment. And we're back on episode thirty of the Smart Marks Wrestling Podcast with a very special segment. I'm joined by Con McBride, who spent time training with the Torture Chamber uh, Pro Wrestling Dojo in Montreal. Uh, the school is run by Drew Onyx, who's a professional wrestler here, and uh, he's worked with. Everyone from the likes of you know Finn Balor and Kevin Owens to just your everyday uh, wrestler wannabe uh, looking to just get in shape, looking to get into the wrestling business, looking for whatever it is that they, uh, they're interested in. So, uh, hi, Connor. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here, share a little knowledge with you guys. 
So uh, I'll get right into it. Um, you took part in uh, a practice before you ever even joined the school. Is that right? Yeah, correct. I went to go see them on a on a Thursday during their mixed uh, amateur and professional, as we'll call it, veteran and uh, rookie style class where they mix both together. So I, I forgot that there is like the difference between the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, whatever the classes are. So you specifying Thursday just seemed very funny to me. Um, yeah, but but that is obviously how it is. Uh, so yeah, you uh, you took part in that. So what about it? Um, being there in the practice, seeing the uh, like you said the mixed class. What about it really piqued your interest and it made you decide yes, I have to join this? There was just like a there was a culture definitely right off the bat that I noticed kind of being a completely new person who people had never seen before and still being treated like super respectfully being greeted at the door by just the common like wrestling trainees. Uh, it showed me that people there are really serious about being respectful, helping each other out. And I was kind of looking for a community style place where I could be pushed to my limits and helped through not quitting and not giving up on my training, despite how out of shape and kind of dilapidated I was at that point uh, in my life. Yeah, so I mean, pulling back the curtain a bit, I was also there that day when you were uh, when you were there to see the practice and potentially sign up, and it was actually really amazing when you walk in and just everybody it doesn't matter who it was, whether uh, they were there for a day or like it was their first day training or if they were there for you know four years, uh, everyone would come up to you, shake your hand, and just you know immediately greet them, uh, greet themselves to you, and that was uh, I thought that was really interesting, and like you said, it really showed uh, a team dynamic and a culture that uh, it, it really helps cultivate what you want to do as a, as a pro wrestler when you want to have it's a tight-knit group right whether you're in in a pro wrestling um like a major company so let's say wb aew whatever it is or you're in some small independent promotion these guys all know what the grind is they all know the hustle and having that one set culture where everybody feels uh like they've gone through the ringer together that's very important and i think it really it got started right away for you as soon as you saw the uh the culture there Absolutely. And the the mix too as well with seeing Drew and how he interacted with the people, uh, you know, people who I could see were maybe struggling or the people who are obviously having a really good, like easy time about it. He was equally as respectful, equally as, as pushing and, and hard on the people who needed to hear it as they needed to hear it. And I could just feel like that was going to be a, a good space for me to be and help me kind of get to be the best that I could be in that situation. Uh, so, like, how in-depth did you go for his teachings? Like, did you feel that, um, because you were new, obviously, to the, uh, not new to wrestling, uh, you, you obviously, you have a, a, a background in uh, amateur wrestling. What was, what's your actual background before I, I go on? Uh, I've done uh, freestyle Greco-Roman and catch uh, in high school. So, I did a couple GMMA championship uh, tournaments uh, just in high school, and I never wound up continuing outside of that. As In terms of pro wrestling, never any actual... No, no real matches. Never, never done anything on the indie circuit. Right, and for you, it was really just a way to get in shape, a way to kind of have fun with uh, with getting in shape and really seeing the the world of professional wrestling from different eyes, or at least from behind the scenes. Um, so, for someone like you who was really new to that side of it in the world of professional wrestling, versus someone who was there for let's say four or five years. Did you find that Drew had a different way of teaching people? And even if it was, let's say, you versus somebody else who was in a different situation physically, mentally, did you find that Drew and, and the school itself did a really good job at uh, adapting the way they were teaching things? I think that it's like uh, it's almost a one-size-fits-all for this kind of culture. 
like everyone who is into wrestling, everyone who's putting everything they have out on the mat kind of two to three times a week, they all have the very thick skin and the the drive to be the best they can be. So Drew's kind of approach at telling you exactly what you need to hear in a very blunt way. And he usually, he likes to take this approach where when we when we have fun, we have a lot of fun. But when we practice, we practice as hard as we physically can. And, you know, I, I sat there with me and a couple other guys who were brand new who had never done this much cardio or this intense cardio. And he would treat us the exact same way he would treat the guy standing next to me who happens to be like the NWA British Commonwealth Championship, like holder, you know, like those, they, there's no one who gets like a free pass just because they're, they've been there for a long time or they, they have impressed him in the past. If you're messing up that day and you happen to be, you know, either holding back or not performing to the ability that he knows you're able to perform at, he'll let you know. And that's the only way to grow, I think. So, um, I mean, that's a good way to look at it too, where, you kind of don't grow if you are babied or coddled along the way. Uh, there, there are certain extents to that, obviously. You know, you can't push someone past their actual limit, but pushing them to the limit and it, just a little bit past it is probably better for the person because you, you grow and you don't get comfortable with the status quo. Um, what, what are some of the first things you noticed when you were there? Or even after beyond that, what, uh, what was a typical day like? Or a typical, I guess it was night practices. So what was a typical night like when you were, uh, you were at school? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's all you're just always working, and I mean you're always you're not just like doing things for the sake of doing them. Everything has a purpose. Everything fits in. The most interesting thing to me of my day to day was kind of seeing how much work goes into actually putting on a match, and how like simple exercises as well as like really difficult exercises can directly translate into things that you might need to do in the ring. So. You know, you're doing bunny hops over little obstacles and you're doing that in a circuit of a hundred other movements and, and places you need to be in the ring. And just having to do those at the same time, you can tell that in a long 20 minute match at the end of like, you know, the tail end, the 18, 19 minutes, you still might have to jump over someone. You still might have to get the full bunny hop and frog leap over someone's, you know, who might be six two, six three. And you have to be able to do that at the the tail end of that match. So just those little tiny things to me were really, it really opened my eyes to how much, uh, how much work goes into choosing what we need to train for and how that translates directly to what we'll need to use in an actual ring fight. For our day-to-day Tuesdays or my Mondays, because I was in the beginner class, uh, we're usually a little bit more focused on technique. So we do almost an hour of uh, pretty intense cardio drills. It would change kind of based on how we how the days went or what we were going to be training that day. Uh, it always included pretty intense stretching beforehand to make sure that our bodies were nice and limber because we they're very 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 strict on not getting any of the wrestlers injured. I think they've only ever had two very 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 light injuries at the school in the entire time they they've been. A wrestling school which is super impressive if you've ever looked into other wrestling schools and uh they really focus hard on making sure that everyone's doing the the most that they can that their body can handle and that they're adequately prepared for what they need to do when you're doing rolls or you're doing like stretches that you've never done before they will tell you if we haven't trained you to do this do not attempt it you know if you're working with other veterans or people who've already done it 
They make sure that you're not trying those things based solely on vision, because sometimes you'll see a veteran do a move that looks really easy and then you could snap your neck. So they're, they're strong. They're strong in that regard and making sure that everyone's safe and, uh, and well looked after. And I think that's really what the Monday practice is all about. You do cardio until you're physically exhausted and your body can't take it. And then they teach you techniques so that even in the worst possible moments of your match time where you're, you've been in the ring for 20 minutes and you're, you're exhausted, you can still put someone into a proper arm bar and not snap their wrist. You know, it's uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a, there's a strong as simple as that. On that. Something as simple as that, like an arm bar or, you know, let's, let's say when Ronda Rousey or Brock Lesnar gets them like a Kimura or an arm bar, these people are trained to actually break someone's arm when they're, they're doing the move. They have to learn how to do it in a way that actually isn't going to injure somebody or even cause them harm to the point where they can't use it in the match because every part of your body is important for a match, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and what about like the Thursday classes when you have the mix between the veterans and the, uh, the beginners? Yeah, that that's really cardio focused on uh, Thursdays. So it's very much uh, a long, long process of circuit training. So if anyone who's listening has ever done kind of football or uh, or hockey dryland training, very similar to that. Uh, you have stations. You get into a team, a group, depending on how many people we are at the day, and we just run through these circuits uh, three times, and it's exhausting. It's extremely painful. Um, if you would have told me the workout before I tried it. Um, I probably would have told you I could never do anything close to that. And I think it's really the beauty of having those veterans there with you is having people kind of on your side who are, it's really a team. Like they want everyone to succeed. They, their motto is that they're champions. They fight like champions. They train like champions and having someone beside you who's done it for years, you would think would be kind of a demotivator because you kind of want to look at them and be like, well, yeah, of course you can do it. You've got a six pack. You've got, you know giant biceps and you've trained like this forever but they're every practice they're tr they're pushing themselves to go further and further and when you feel like you're about to give up and you can't do that last circuit they're gonna be on your side telling you that you can and pushing you until you you know to the max that you can go and i think that that's one of the most important parts that i walked away from the school with was having that kind of sense of community and that sense of pride in each other right uh, and you mentioned, you know, people that have done it for years, people that they look the part, or they are the part. There are people that were training with you who, I mean, they wrestle on the independent scene, whether it's in Montreal, whether it's, you know, in different countries around the world, and even people who have gotten tryouts in the Performance Center. Did they ever have, like, any kind of advice or any kind of stories from the Performance Center or from their matches? Was that ever something that you got to, like, talk about with them or hear them talk about in, in passing or whatever it may be? Yeah, we we shared a lot of stories. I think one of the the coolest parts for me as like a as a fan and a longtime like lover of the business and and the art of it was getting to talk to experienced people after the practice. Once the practice is done, everyone's getting changed, everyone's getting their shoes on. It just kind of becomes this like watering hole and and wealth of knowledge where all of these veterans are just kind of telling us stories about their visits to Spain or Ireland where they went to other schools or when they went to go train with WWE superstars in different places. People have been to New Japan and wrestled in New Japan. And it's just kind of cool to have those people share these like crazy experiences outside of the ring where they're not just talking about, you know, seeing someone do a move or whatever, but talking about how your favorite superstars behave kind of when they go out to bars or when they go out to like events and, and signings and stuff like that. And you get to see like a, they get to pull back their own curtain and see that and talking to 
people who come from we have a we had a wrestler who literally came from the UK because he was training over there had a really good time was doing stuff in their indie circuit drew went over there with a couple of wrestlers from the school they met up and he basically uprooted his life moved to Montreal just to go to drew school and he like left an entire UK life to come train here because he realized that it was the best training he was going to be able to get and be a super great opportunity for him to be closer to the United States, be closer to North America in general, and kind of get into that new independent scene. Right, and that that's saying a lot too, because it's hard to uproot your life, first of all. It's harder to uproot your life when you have no guarantees. It's not like he's going here for a job. He's going here just to train, um, and, and that's scary in itself. And it's also pretty impressive too, considering I mean, the UK, you know, the English independent scene, especially for wrestling, it's booming right now. So to, to physically uproot your life and move over to you know, French Canada of all places. And especially when you have, you know, potentially opportunities over there, that says a lot to um, Drew, the reputation of his school, and just, you know, his willingness to uh, branch out and do things. And we've seen that in, in pro wrestling a lot. Just about every person in, in the industry, uh, at least back from like, you know, the 90s and who have been doing it for a long time, you'll see they have stories from Japan and Germany and Mexico and wherever it is that'll give them any kind of wrestling um, experience or, or just a job even is uh it's a very lengthy list of countries that you'll see them go to and it's never as easy as just hey i want to be a wrestler i mean sometimes it's as easy as i want to be a wrestler and you're a wrestler right the performance center gives you that opportunity now but uh it, it never was that easy right so this is we're in a, an age of wrestling where you really get to uh it, it's different it's not what it used to be but people will still go that extra mile because they realize just because those options are available, it doesn't mean it's for everybody. It doesn't mean everybody's good enough to get that opportunity. Or even some people are lucky enough. You know, Some people aren't lucky enough to get that opportunity. Um, it, it's not always about how good you are, but it's also just how far you can get with what you've done. And that's, that's something that a lot of people don't realize in, in a lot of walks of life, and wrestling is no different. Yeah, I think his reputation definitely precedes him as like a, as a strong coach. I know... They've had stories of them going to multiple other places where the facilities aren't as clean. The the hardware that they get to use isn't up to par. You know, they have a they have a 16 by 16 ring to practice in, which is unheard of in wrestling schools. Even in the Quebec wrestling scene, most of the rings that are used for actual matches are 14 by 14. And if you do the math two six feet something people doing a suplex, you're going to hit the end of the ropes with your legs. Like that's a, it's a very small ring considering WWE uses 20 by 20. Most big promotions use 20 by 20, except for NWA. And like just being able to have that resource is like such a blessing to train in and having someone who's been a coach at the performance center, they actually had drew there as a registered coach. And it's something that he's always wanted to do and got to live through. So he knows what they're looking for at what some people would consider the highest level of professional wrestling, whether you consider that a talent brag or a wide-ranging visibility brag. It is one of the biggest companies in, in the world for sports entertainment. And him having that kind of in and knowledge around what they're looking for and what kind of training you should be doing if that's your end game is invaluable to people who are looking to get into that scene. Yeah, and he also, I remember when I was there, he uh, he mentioned, and I, I mean, I was there for, what, less than two hours? How long were we there for? We, really we, were, there for, we were there for two hours, yeah. The practice okay, was about so, two hours, and we st we got there right on time and talked to him a little bit after. Sure. So let's say it was two hours. 
Um, during that practice, I got to see the uh, just simple like workouts on the mat. So you have a mat, and then also you have a, a physical like ring, and you have other like little like training or like a workout room, whatever it is. Um, it, it's not a huge place, but there's a lot that can go on in there, and it's actually a very good usage of space. Honestly, they really don't waste any of it. But so I got to see some of the workouts. I got to see in ring. Um, it, it was like drills, I guess, like certain things. So like, hey, do uh, a takeover, like just do like a snapmare or something. Okay, then do a snapmare, and then like this guy's gonna like bounce back up, and then you're gonna like I, I don't know, give them a, a Russian lay sweep or like just like a toe drag or something, um, something simple. And and they would just like add and add and add. And then at one point there was um, there was referees being involved and how the referee gets involved and how it, it really affects the way the uh, the match goes. And the referee is such a, a major part of every single match, but you don't really notice it because why would you, right? You're not there to watch the referee. Uh, managers were involved, so there's promo work as well. I thought the promo stuff was very good. And then you had him saying, when we were talking about the referees, uh, you know, he was saying how he would watch a match. I think it was four times. He said he would watch the match all the way through. Then he would watch it again from the babyface perspective. Then he would watch it and like watch just the heel. Then he would watch it again and watch just the referee. It may have been five times because then he may have watched it again after yeah, that. Yeah, watch it again, yeah. So then watching a match five times, that's exhausting if you're talking about 20 minutes. You're talking about a very, very significant amount of time for just one pay-per-view, for example. WWE puts on seven-hour shows right now. So if you're watching every single one of those matches five times, that's 35 hours. Um, less the the filler in between, so that's you know more than a day's work there, and that's just one wrestling pay per view for one company. You're not talking about every Raw, every SmackDown, every independent show, every match that. He, and I'm not saying he watches all those matches, but I'm saying right. anything anything he's doing for that kind of stuff, whether it's an indie show or Raw or SmackDown, it's very time consuming, and it's the, the kind of work he puts in that really shows, uh, or it really helps uh, build some kind of reputation that he has and and it's not hard to see why you and so many others are interested in joining it and it's it's good to see that there are still wrestling schools like that in montreal and everywhere around um you know the world that may be you know equal to less than greater than his school whatever it is you know schools that are still dedicated to preparing people for this performance center experience or for other companies around the world uh it's cool to see that this is still alive and well because wrestling like i said Breaking into the industry is different now than it ever was before, but you still have this old school route that works. Yeah, no, he has an understanding of the art that uh, that definitely transcends anything that uh, a regular regular Mark or Smart could ever even possibly imagine. And it's not just him. There are people who who come from Ottawa every like two to three times a week for their veteran class and the mixed class and then the Sunday practice whenever it's open. They'll drive two plus hours here, do the practice for another two to two and a half hours, and then drive back two plus hours just to get this training. Because he, Drew doesn't just understand how to move around in the ring. Anyone can teach you, anyone who's done catch wrestling can teach you catch wrestling. It's a, it's a skill in itself and it's something you learn, but he doesn't just know catch wrestling. He knows catch wrestling he knows pro wrestling he knows how to cut promos he knows how managers are supposed to act in and outside of the ring he knows how referees are supposed to make calls he knows everything and he teaches it to people as they need it there are people who want to be just managers that are there and they come in and they do some of the cardio to make sure that they're in shape but they're really there not to learn the wrestling techniques but to learn managerial techniques how they're supposed to act out their scenes and he'll teach them at the same time that he's teaching us moves and he'll use these people during when we do like uh shines and stuff 
for the whole class to see. And you get to see that kind of experience and maybe make a decision on if you want to keep going in wrestling or if maybe you just want to be a manager or if you wanted to maybe take up refereeing. And he'll train people who, it's not even necessarily just wrestling. He does boxing training and stuff. If you follow them on Instagram, you'll consistently see him kind of every day posting a new sport or new person that he's training that day. And there are people who do come in on Saturdays and days that he's not actually open to watch matches with him. And he'll dedicate that time for the people who want to put it in because he wants them to succeed. And if they want to sit there for five hours and go over the last WWE pay-per-view so that they can make sure that they're learning the newest techniques and they're understanding why certain matches were flops and certain matches performed really well, he'll give up his Saturday to do that with you. And that's like that's something that you can't get in a book or get in a, in a regular training class. It's something that is very unique to Drew. Yeah, I, I think that um, from the the big stuff to the small stuff and everything in between, the uh, his school seems to just do it right. And I know that you wouldn't have stopped going if it wasn't for like external um, issues or not issues, but just reasons uh, that you know prevented you from from continuing to go. And uh, I know the door is always open if you want to go back. So for anyone interested in going to the school, uh, it, it's definitely a worthwhile experience if you're from the Montreal area, or apparently if you're from other countries and and still interested in like uprooting your life. Uh, yeah, uh, highly recommend checking them out on uh, social media and just on the uh, you know the internet in general. And uh, yeah, if you're looking to get into wrestling, there are definitely options out there. So again, I want to thank you, Connor, for for coming on. Anytime, brother. All right. So uh, again, you can find us on uh, thesportster.com. That's the uh, the presenting sponsor of the show. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Anchor.fm, wherever you Spotify, wherever you have your uh, you you get your your podcasts or you you have your typical podcast listening experience. We should be there. So uh, again, thank you very much. And uh, from myself and Jim, who's not here, uh, have a nice night. Hey.